Welcome to episode number 10 with Rich Roll on the School of Greatness. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes. I'm an author, lifestyle entrepreneur, former pro athlete, and world record holder in football. My goal with the School of Greatness is to share with you stories from the most inspiring business minds, world-class athletes, and influential celebrities on the planet to find out what makes great people great. So please leave us a review on iTunes and join us on the web at schoolofgreatness.com to be notified of each episode when it comes out. Now let's get after it. What is up, great? So thanks so much for hanging out with me today. I've got some exciting news. This guest that I've got on today, his name is Rich Roll, and I'm going to introduce him in just a second. But with that, our next guest is Rich Roll. His new book is called Finding Ultra, Rejecting Middle Age, Becoming One of the World's Fittest Men, and Discovering Myself. It's kind of a memoir plus uh, a lot of great nutritional and supplement things that he talks about on how he transformed his life. When he was just about when he turned 40, he uh, was 50 pounds overweight and he had a moment where he was eating fast food every day, realized that he was extremely out of shape and needed to make a change. And he talks about that in this interview. It's extremely inspiring what he's done. I urge you to check out the book. This guy is an ultra Ironman competitor, ultra athlete. Basically, he does some of the craziest things in the world, running like 50 miles a day and biking 150 miles a day and swimming 10 plus miles a day and doing it every day of the year, right? He's, he's insane. But uh, it's an amazing, inspiring story. And I'm very excited to introduce you to the man. Rich Roll. I don't really know anything about endurance training at all. And I'm built for speed. That's really what I'm built for. Power so, and strength. Power and strength. I, uh, I have a mentor that I run with every now and then in, in Santa Barbara. And he is a marathoner, like a long distance guy. And I can barely keep up after two miles. I'm like, I need a break. I need to stretch. So I'm excited to learn more about this topic, but thanks so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We just had lunch at uh, here in, in L.A., near West Hollywood, at a little spot that has some vegan options because Rich is vegan. I've got a good friend of mine who's actually been vegan for 15 years, and he looks like he's you know my age, and he's probably about 15 right. years older than me. It's amazing. The power of vegans, it's, it's awesome what you guys can do. Yeah, but do you ask him where he gets his protein? There I must be something wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't ask him. <laughs> no, but there's a lot of vegan options here in L.A. It's super easy in L.A. I mean, so every, easy, you right? throw a rock and you hit a vegan restaurant <laughs> or like a juice bar or something like that. So Exactly. Yeah, they make it easy here in town. I realize it's it's not so easy in other states. In the Midwest, it's like impossible. Yeah. I mean, even if you go to a normal <clears throat> restaurant here, there's plenty of... There's usually a options. separate, like, gluten-free or vegan option menu, right? right? But usually. you see it more and more. I just got back from Charleston, South Carolina, and I thought, there's not going to be any place where I'm going to be able to eat here. And everywhere I went, even, like, the pizza places had, like, cheeseless vegan pizzas with with gluten-free crust and everything like that. So right. you're seeing it more and more. <laughs> exactly. Now, Rich, uh, we got introduced through a mutual friend recently. We both got podcasts that came out around the same time. And your, what's your podcast title? Is it just your name? It's just the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. It's smart. <laughs> just like the Joe Rogan experience. It's a way to brand yourself. I love it. And uh, Rich has an interesting story. I want to have him share his story here for a, for a second before we get into some more awesome uh, questions. But you used to be an entertainment lawyer, mm-hmm. right? For right. a number of years. Right. That was kind of your main thing. It's my main thing. Yeah, recovering lawyer now. Recovering, recovering lawyer. Attorney. You remind me of Jonathan Fields. I don't yeah. know if you've heard of Jonathan Fields. I do know him. I've connect. I've had a couple emails with him um, over the last year, and I'm, I'm going to New York in April. I was hoping to connect with him. I'll introduce you guys. Yeah. I'll connect that for sure. Um, so you were you were in 2006. You had an interesting moment, right? There was a, mm-hmm. a moment in your life where you were an entertainment lawyer, a little bit out of shape. Not really happy or satisfied with what was happening in your life, your career. You're kind of like a stale moment, right? Is that? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, 
in many ways, you could look at my life at that time and say, you know, I was the very model of the American dream. Uh-huh. Uh, my wife and I built a beautiful house in Malibu Canyon, uh, you know, happy marriage, having kids, successful entertainment law practice. And uh, I'm also a recovering alcoholic and have been able to accumulate a number of years of sobriety and, you know, built my life back up from a pretty destitute state into, you know, something to be proud of. But <clears throat> at the same time, there was like this hole in my spirit, you know, like I felt like my whole my whole life I chased the kind of carrot, you know, like I would go to the best school. Like I yeah. got in all the Ivy League Went schools. Stanford, I right? studied hard. Yeah. And I was a good athlete and I played, you know, I was a swimmer at Stanford on a one, two, two NCAA championships. Wow. I was a bench warmer on the team. <laughs> I, I can't take so, responsibility for winning those rings, but, uh, but yeah. And, uh, and you know, took a, took a left turn and went down a dark alley with alcoholism, but was able to kind of address that and get my life back on track. And I worked super hard to kind of climb the corporate ladder and mm-hmm. was on the partnership track at a big law firm. And, you know, to the outside observer, like I said, it looked like I had everything going on and, and I just was unhappy. You know, Mm -hmm. I was like, is this it? Is this like everything that I worked for? Like, why am I not, I felt ripped off, you know, Mm -hmm. I felt like cheated, like I'd done everything right. And yet, you know, and, and this was the point in in life where I was supposed to be celebrating, you know, everything that I, that I'd built. And there was like a hole in my spirit. And that kind of was exacerbated by a health crisis because, during that period of time where I was working so hard, I really had overlooked my health and my fitness. And I'd put on 50 pounds, um, and I'm a, I'm a slim guy, so I yeah. weighed about, I, I was 39 years old at the time, I'm 46 now, so I weighed about 210 pounds. Wow. Which, you know, I weigh, you? I weigh like 165 now, um, f- almost six feet. Okay, I'm yeah. Six feet. So You're slim. If you see, like, it wasn't like I was a candidate for the biggest loser, not like this huge obese guy, you know, but we're so used to seeing incredibly fat people all the time. I was like a guy who you expect to see working 80 hour weeks in a law firm, you know, filled out a little gut, you know, the round head, the whole thing, chubby cheeks. And uh, I probably would have continued along that path. But what happened was uh, shortly before I turned 40, um, I'd been working late. I came home late. And my eating habits were horrible. Uh, my friend, I have a friend named Osher Gunsberg, and he calls it the, the window diet. If I can roll down my window and they hand it, they hand it to oh, me through a window, then so I eat it. You know, so I was <laughs> all about, you know, Domino's Pizza, Jack in the Box, McDonald's, mm. uh, Pizza Hut. You know, all the kind of fast, cheap food because I didn't want to be bothered with cooking. Yeah, I worked late, so I wasn't home for dinner a lot. And, uh, and I just developed a habit for those foods. And I think those habits were formed when I was a swimmer because I was training four hours a day and calories are king. You can just eat what you want when you're young. Yeah. And I'm burning up. And, you know, you heard of the Michael Phelps diet. Yeah. Well, like, I was on that diet. Yeah. And I know what that's like. But when swimming's over, uh, you know, those habits stay with you and they're hard to break. So you continue to eat that way. And, you know, I think <clears throat> denial is a very powerful thing, too. So for years and years... I would look in the mirror and I would still think that I was that fit collegiate swimmer. You know, I wasn't really seeing myself objectively or uh-huh. accurately. Uh, and so what happened was, um, yeah, I was up late eating fast food on the couch, watching late night TV. My family was asleep, went to go up the stairs to go to sleep one or two in the morning. And like halfway up a simple flight of stairs, I like had to stop. Like I was out of breath. Wow. I bent over, sweat on my forehead tightness in my chest and I you know I thought like you know I didn't have a heart attack but it was scary enough to think you know I'm 39 like I had to like take a break walking up a simple flight of stairs like something is really not right and you know I need to make some changes so that's kind of like where it all began for me so what happened next were you just like okay I'm going to be drastic about the changes or I'm going to ease into training again or yeah I had to run marathons what well what happened I'm a very extreme personality, right, sure. and uh, as all good alcoholics are. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so for me, you know, easing into something has never really mm. worked. Um, and I kind of tend to see things, perceive the world through this prism of <clears throat> recovery and addiction, and that's kind of my programming. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, when it came time for me, I struggled with alcoholism for a long time. And when it came time for me to get sober and when that denial, you know, snapped and I was ready to do something, I had to act very decisively and very drastically and very immediately. Yeah. yeah, Rip the bandaid, got on a plane, went to rehab and was in rehab for a hundred days. Is that 39? Pulled out. No, that was before. Like that was several years prior to that, like 1997. Gotcha. But the point is that. I understood how important those little cracks in the door are. Uh-huh. Like when you have, like when you're able to kind of snap that denial and see yourself more clearly or recognize the need for a change, I understood the importance of acting decisively and immediately mm-hmm. because I reflected back on that moment where I decided to get sober. Had I just not acted on that in that moment, I might have stayed drunk for the next several years yeah. and maybe got into an accident and died or killed somebody. You know what I mean? So those moments, I think, in life are really, really powerful. And because I had had one prior, I was able to recognize how important it was. And mm-hmm. I knew that I needed to act quickly and decisively. Because I think, And I think the other thing is, is it, the thing that, to bear in mind is specificity. Because for me to say, well, you know what, I really ought to eat better and I should probably go to the gym mm-hmm. a little bit more. Like, what does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. Right. To, me, to me, at least, it doesn't. That might work for other people, but that's too vague. You know? So I needed to like, do something that, I could, that was in accordance with a program that I could hold myself accountable to yep. that would start right away before that kind of motivation and, and immediacy wanes, and then you're just back to doing whatever it is you're doing. I think this is something that a lot of elite athletes have in common is there's so you, you can get focused on like a, a plan and a goal. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like, okay, I need to do this. I'm going to do a little bit of it. And then it just fades away. But we're like a different breed in the fact that we can just like take so much action on something and become right. so committed to the result, yeah. the end goal or whatever it is. I think that gives us an advantage in just in life in general and business, having that athletic background you competing at a Division One school, you understand what it means to like reach a goal and train four hours a day and do whatever it takes to like. Well, you get see the, the you see the the cause and effect. Of yeah, it. and exactly. I know, and you're probably the same way. When I have a schedule and I know what I'm doing and yep. my time is regimented, then I'm you know exponentially more productive. Yep. And my wife doesn't work that way. She's kind of likes to be all over the place and not be so planned ahead, on, right. and, and that works for her. And when I try to do it her way, like my whole life just falls apart. You know? Like I need, I'm like I need structure. I need structure. I right. operate well within the constraints of right. that. Right. That's so in a, in, as 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 it applies to diet, you know, so that's kind of what led me into this new phase. And I started it off with a seven day juice cleanse. And I, I know you had your guest the other week talking about the benefits of that. And I, I, yeah. I can speak to that because that changed everything for me. And being a junk food junkie. Mm. Uh, I was sort of the last guy in the world to like sort of <laughs> jump on the juice fast bandwagon. Like that was very out of character for me. Um, but what happened was my wife in like 2004, she had had, she developed a cyst on her neck, a thyroglossal cyst, which was like, she had like a tennis ball size growth on her what? neck. And all the doctors went to Cedar sinai We went to UCLA and they all said the same thing, which was, uh, it's not, Malignant. It's a benign growth, but it's also never going to go away, and it'll probably just continue to grow a little bit, and you're going to have to have it surgically removed. And she had had a botched tonsillectomy several years prior that she, that had her in bed, like on bed rest, for weeks and weeks. Mm. So she was not in a hurry to have anyone cut her neck open <laughs> no again way. to deal with this. And it, it was also sort of a um, not a, not the most serious surgery, but there was. It's attached to the vertebrae, and there's some nerves That's around there. And she was like, no way. So she decided she was going to heal this thing uh, herself. And she went to an Ayurvedic doctor, and he put her on this crazy regimen of plant-based foods and bizarre teas and the grossest, smelly, foulest-smelling paste and weird stuff I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, she would rub this stuff on her neck at night and put a bandage on, bandage on it. And it did not... Uh, it was not a it was not a quick process. It took maybe nine months, oh but she healed herself and it went away and it has never come back. So, wow. I knew I, that was powerful because I it so was it the first went time all the way down. it went all the way. It's gone. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's never come back. And you know maybe there's a, a Western doctor out there who could come up with some explanation, uh-huh. but it's irrelevant to me because what I saw was somebody who was able to heal themselves 
with food. And Mm -hmm. so then I was like, all right, I need to kind of get on this program. So that's, you know, for me to say, I'm going to do a juice cleanse. When I said that to my wife, she was like, she was shocked. What she heard was, you know, that dress and and, uh, the high heels in the closet. Like, I think I'm going to wear that to the party. (laughs) That's how out of character it was for me. Wow. Um, But this is back in 2006. This is 2006. So it wasn't really, juice cleanses weren't really still like mainstream or more popular. Not as mainstream as they are now. I mean, in LA, you know, everyone's doing it, you know, and it wasn't like the, the cayenne pepper one. It was a little, there was more nutrients in it to that. Now, Um, have you seen the documentary food matters? Yes. And Mm -hmm. I watched that probably about six months ago on Netflix. And I remember seeing how they're healing themselves through supplements and for through juice things like that and mm-hmm. so this reminds me a lot of chris carr's story right and uh food matters which your wife went through right so it's pretty interesting and i also watched i don't know if you watched this but fat sick and nearly dead of course the juice yeah. i started watching i watched that and then i got into juice after that uh-huh. and now it's like almost every day I, I juice and i see i have a very similar story with you where i was 35 pounds heavier than I am now. And I remember feeling tired walking up hills and stairs. Mm-hmm. But I also felt like I looked okay. I had a gut. But it was like, right. I still feel like you're an athlete. But yeah, you got to really pay attention to what you're eating, I think. Yeah. At all times. All the time. And it's, it's hard to convey that message to young people. You know, I was the last person who wanted to hear that. You know, right. you're, you're more willing to pay attention when you're older and uh-huh. you've experienced what that kind of lethargy is like and that right. low-grade depression and right. the impact of a poor diet on, you know, every aspect of your life, not just your waistline, but yeah. literal, literally your emotional state, your mental state, your spiritual everything. state. Everything. Yeah. So you're 39, you go through the juice cleanse, then... Do you have a vision of being an, an ultra marathon <laughs> Ironman machine, or is it just like, okay, I want to start swimming again and see how it feels? More the latter. Uh, you know, the, the juice cleanse was an interesting experience because the first couple of days I was buckled over, sweating, like I was in rehab. You know, uh, it felt like detoxing off heroin or something. Wow. Like it was terrible. But by the last couple of days of it, and I don't know if you've had this experience, I felt incredible. You know, like like better than I'd felt in 20 years right. or maybe ever. You know? yeah. And so that told me just how resilient the human body is. That mm. in, a, in a matter of a week after treating my body so horribly with terrible diet and drug and alcohol abuse for so long, that in a mere week of doing this, they could feel this good. Like, it's amazing, right? So then I thought, well, I got to start eating food. You know, I've wiped this slate clean. I got to start on a new trajectory here. And I made an ill-fated kind of attempt to eat a vegetarian diet. And I didn't read the books. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, it wasn't long before I'm eating Domino's pizza with cheese. You know, like I'm looking for the loophole. You know, well, this is vegetarian. And the reason I chose vegetarian diet is like, like I said, I, I have this prism of recovery that I see the world and, and, in recovery, it's it's like you're either drinking or you're not. You're sober, or you're using yeah. drugs, or you're not. And vegetarian diet was easy for my mind to approach because it's like you're eating meat or you're not. And, yeah. I, and there's like that line in the sand. But that didn't work, and I was ready to just bag it, quite honestly, and wow. say, "Well, I tried, and you know, I'm going to go back and do do what I was going to do." But I thought, "Well, I'm halfway there. I wonder what would happen if I got rid of the dairy and I got rid of the processed foods." And I did it as almost a way to prove that it wouldn't work. Um, to myself and to my wife. Just to make sure that you... Yeah, just, well, I'll explore this, but, you know, this isn't going to work either. Right. And and what happened was I ended up, again, a week later, I felt as good as I felt wow. during that juice cleanse. And that's when I thought, wow, something's really going on here. Were you gluten and, I, and dairy-free during that time as well? Um, just yeah, dairy? I wouldn't say I was 100% gluten-free. Like, I tried to eat gluten-free, um, and that's tough. still a battle for me. So you know, I went, you know, I usually at home I do, but, you know, every once in a while some bread or wheat finds its way into my diet. I know that I feel a lot better when yeah. I'm eating gluten-free. Especially if you're sure. vegan, it's hard yeah. to be gluten-free and vegan, I think. Yeah, you're, you're, you're cutting you're cutting the bone what can you cutting eat? it close to the bone yeah what can you eat? well there's a lot you can eat right. but but uh, to get to sort of wrap up the long-winded answer to your question um you know i started exercising again which is something i hadn't really done regularly in a very long time mm. just to burn off all the extra energy i had like i was bouncing off the walls like i couldn't sit still like i needed to get out and and do something with my body so i didn't have the nutrients were giving you all this yeah energy. i was jacked yeah. like all the time <laughs> Which is not what I expected on a vegan diet, right. you know. Uh, 
but I didn't have some big grand design to return to being a competitive athlete. I just wanted to, I wanted to lose my gut and I wanted to be able to enjoy my children at their energy level. I mean, that was really my goal at the time. Mm. So tell me the difference between a triathlon, an Ironman, and an ultra Ironman, I guess. An ultra, an ultra what distance is it? Ironman. Yeah, so is it called Ultra Ironman? Ultra, well, Ultraman is one race, ultra. but I guess ultra distance triathlon. Okay. Yeah. Well, a triathlon is, is any race that involves the disciplines of swimming, cycling, and running. And they come in all shapes and sizes. And there's like a sprinter's form and an Olympic. Right. Sometimes the course dictates the various distances and the disciplines. But some of them, you know, can take, you know, half an hour to do or an hour. And they range, um, they range in, in, uh, in scope. And Ironman is uh, sort of the, the crown jewel of triathlon, at least in America. Um, and that's a very long race in which in one day you do a 2.4-mile swim followed by 112 miles on the bike and then a marathon mm-hmm. after that and you do that all at once and then and then an ultraman <laughs> <laughs> which is what we're we're jumping ahead a little bit because this is the race that i've done a couple times um the ultraman is a race uh the ultraman world championships is a race that's held every year thanksgiving weekend on the big island of hawaii and it's essentially double the distance of an ironman mm. and it's held as a stage race during which, the, dur- over the course of three days, you circumnavigate the entire Big Island. You do a loop around the entire island. It's a big island. It's like the size of Connecticut. It's big. Right? It's big. Right there. And that entails, uh, well, day one you do a 6.2-mile ocean swim followed by a 90-mile bike. Mm. The last 20 miles of which are up this mountain to oh Volcano National Park. Mm. The second day, uh, you do 170 miles on the bike. And then the third day... You do a 52.4 mile run, a double marathon run. That just sounds so exhausting. Yeah, it's long. <laughs> now, what do you do to prepare, both physically and mentally, for probably one of the most challenging things that your body can go through? You quit your job and you uh, say goodbye to all your friends. And uh, no. Um, <laughs> well, for me, I did this race for the first time in 2008. Um, and when I had it in, got it into my insane brain that I wanted to try this. Uh, I only had about six months of real preparation time to do it. I hired a coach, so I know that's a big message in your podcast, is surrounding yourself with experts and people that know more uh, about things than you do. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing I did. Do you think you could have done as well as you've done without a coach? No question. There's no way. No way. I wouldn't have even finished it. You know, there's no no way. You know, there's no way. Um, and I don't know whether he believed that I was going to be able to do it, but he led me to believe that he could take me across the finish line, and, and that was enough for me to believe in him and in the program that he wow. constructed for me, to which I adhered to to a T because I was terrified. Because <laughs> I'm coming off the couch, and, uh, and you know, at this point, I started exercise. My wife bought me a bike for my 40th birthday. I'd never, I'd never ridden, really ridden a bike, and I'd never been a runner. I'd been a swimmer in college, but we're talking about a good 20 years of relative inactivity and, <laughs> and trying to get ready for this race. Um, wow! In a in a pretty short period of time. How many months do you have? So, well, I'd been kind of biking and running and sort of getting fit, like I, you know, like I right. said, as a result of this added energy boost, and that'd been going on for you know like a year, uh-huh. of, but very unstructured and not like focused on. It wasn't training. Right. It was sort of like enjoying being outdoors yeah. with friends and just getting a little bit more fit and having some of the weight come off. But when I when it was time to get serious, I had about six and a half months to actually right. focus and get prepared. So, you know, it was imperative that I not miss any workouts and, right. and do as I was told and show up and suit up. Um, and I and I did that. And and you know, it endurance sports. You know, a lot of people get injured running, and um, mm. and a, a big reason. There's many reasons for that, but one of the biggest reasons is people ramp up their volume too quickly. So they're like, oh, I'm up doing a marathon, yeah, so I'm start, gonna start running ten start, miles a day. Yeah, or they start, they run every day, and you know they go out and they run hard every time, and and there's not yeah. enough. Um, you know, every workout needs to have a purpose, uh-huh. and that purpose is different on different days. And and one of the big things that I learned in preparing for this as a swimmer back in the late 1980s, we would just show up for a workout and go hard. And I'd every jump day. in the pool after a brief warm up. Then every set, I just went as hard as I could, yep. and that was it. There was no 
recovery days. There were no rest weeks. There was no, we would just train like that for eight months and then do a two week taper and see how it would go. And I thought that that's how you would prepare for a race like this too. And what I learned and what my coach was able to um, teach me, and he was a guest on my podcast a couple of weeks ago for people that want to hear more about my specific training philosophy, because um, it's too long winded to get into here, but, but it's about, um, building your volume very gradually and very incrementally mm. um, to not overstress your body too soon because you'll just overtrain or make yourself tired and then you'll get sick and then you'll get injured and then you'll end up missing more training than you right. would otherwise. So being very cautious and responsible about how you build that pyramid and creating a really strong, broad foundation uh, and stepping up from there. But, you know, so it started off gradual, but at the end, you know, I was putting in 25-hour training weeks. I mean, it became like a second job to me. 25 hours a week. How, how many a day? Most days, um, there'd be two training sessions in a day. Right. Um, I, never ran, I never ran two days in a row, but Tuesdays were double run days. Saturdays were really long bike rides True. that gradually ramped up from a couple hours up to eight or nine hours there at the end. And then Sundays were really long run days. Mm. And I did some simulation weekends in that kind of eight or ten weeks leading up to the race where I would approximate the Ultraman distance over a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So in training before the race, I actually did a 40-mile run and a 45-mile run. Wow. So I knew I was going to be able to make it. it. knew I was going to be able to finish it. And just the fact that I was able to do those training runs was like, at the time that I accomplished that, I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever done as an athlete in my life. I can't just, even believe I just ran those Just training. In yeah. training. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of a long week where I, I kicked my butt all week and had ridden my bike like nine hours a day before. So <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. But I mean, again, it goes back to my coach and, and creating a program. Hmm. Now... Did you know when you said when you set out to wanting to achieve the Ultraman? Ultraman is what you call it. Oh, the Ultraman, yeah. Ultraman. <laughs> Did you know when you said, "Okay, I'm going to go do this race," um, that you could complete it? Did you say? Do you think to yourself, "I'm going to try this race, but I'm just going to do it and see how I do," or I am going to complete it? Did you like visualize that when you like set out to do it? Were you like, "There's no matter what, I'm going to finish this race." Uh, well, first of all, visualization is very important, um, and I do a lot of positive visualization in, in everything that I do, and I yeah. find that critical. So when I lined up to, to uh, tackle that race, I knew that I was going to finish it. Mm. There was no question in my mind that I was going to finish right. it. And also, that's a result of having done those simulation weekends where yeah. I'd done 90% of the race in training when I was tired. So sure. I knew that when I showed up to actually do it rested that I was going to be able to do it. That being said, in 2008, the first time I did it, I didn't. I wasn't there to race it. I was there to. My goal was don't die. Yeah. And finish. Don't get injured. And I was doing it to celebrate this life change that I made. Right. I mean, two years prior, I couldn't make it up a staircase, and here I was. You know, I'd never done an Ironman. I. It wasn't like I was a seasoned triathlete. Right. Like I'm a complete newbie. Like I really didn't know. So you never done a triathlon. What I was getting involved in. Well, I'd done. I did like the Malibu triathlon sure. short, like I knew I could do short ones and stuff like that, but it wasn't like I was off, you know, do I'd done 10 Ironmans and had right. a lot of experience. Like I was very inexperienced at this and I had humility, you know, like I went into this race. I was, I had a level of confidence that I could complete it, but I also had a responsible level of humility about what I was about to do. And I, I wasn't there to win or anything like that. I was there to like celebrate right. the fact that I was sober, the fact that I had lost this That's weight great. and changed my life and, and and that was really that was really it. It wasn't to compete. So you went. So you never did an Ironman. You went right to Ultra. Yeah, which is two Ironmans. I told right? you I was a, a, sort of an it's obsessive crazy. extreme person. I can't. I can't even visualize. <laughs> I can't even see myself doing a marathon. It's like it just seems like so I'll, far. I'll get you there. When you said you have trouble running more than two miles, you don't spend enough time with me. Man. I'll yeah, get you out there. I feel like maybe in like ten years when I'm like done being a, a built for speed, then I'll just do the long uh, distance. You'd thing. be surprised. Really? Yeah. I feel like I get slower, though, if I do, like, train uh, long distance. No? No, I'll help you out. All right, cool. Yeah. We'll do a run sometime. Maybe you can help me with my form. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. Um, so what did you do then and now? What do you do, like, when you're training mentally? So you go out every day, I'm assuming, for a couple hours every day or mm-hmm. something for your training now. What do you do mentally during these long, painful workouts? Because it's like... It's a lot of one-on-one time with yourself. 
it's and your own thoughts, time. your own like doubts, like, oh, I just want to go back and relax today or I've got other stuff to do. I want to hang out with my kids. I want to go in the pool. Right. How do you stay committed to being mentally tough every day, every workout for years to compete at this level and stay fit and stay in shape? Yeah, it's it's a challenge. Um, you know, I have four kids and I'm married and I have other things in my life. Uh, so it's and my life is more complicated now than it was in 2008 and 2009 when I was doing when I did these races that I talk about in the book. Um, but I'm a better person when I'm taking care of myself in this mm. way. And there's a certain part of me that feels like that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm wired for it and I'm happier. I'm more productive. I'm a better husband and I'm a better father when I am, when I am training and taking care of myself in that way. And that doesn't mean that when I'm out on a Saturday and I have a really long ride to do that, I don't, I don't have certain thoughts of feeling guilty. Like I should be with my kids right now. And, you know, I work from home. I'm around my kids a lot. You know, right. I'm there, I'm there all the time. So I'm not, by no means am I an absentee dad or anything right. like that. I'm a, I'm You're not working 80 hours a week in an office and then exactly. coming home and training three hours a day and then spending Exactly. Time. But I'm also human where I think, you know, is this, I question, I'm always, I think it's important to always be questioning what you're doing, right. you know, rather than just blindly saying this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but I approach the training, every training session as an act of meditation. Mm. And it's an opportunity to be present in what you're doing and connect with a higher version of yourself, a more aspirational version of yourself, uh, and to kind of the environment at large. And I find that I learn a lot about myself, particularly in the last few hours of a long session sure. or the last hour when it's starting to become very difficult and painful and you're overly you fatigued and all of that. That's where the magic happens and that's, and that's where the beauty happens. And it's like... Have you ever driven across country in a car, like by yourself or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, I've driven from well Ohio to the top of Maine, which is probably like a 14, 15 hour trip. So right by myself with no AC in the middle of summer and right. no radio. <laughs> right, like right, right. Junker. So that's similar. Like... It's a similar thing because, and I've done that too. The first couple hours are the hardest hours because you're not used to sitting still. You're not used to being alone. You're not used to all these things. You're antsy and you're like, I'm never going to make it. And then, you know, nine hours into the drive, you'll kind of come to and go, oh, what was I thinking about the last hour? And where have I been? You go into your zone, right? And that happens a lot, you know, and it's a similar kind of thing. Interesting. So you look at it as active meditation. Do you actually do non-active meditation as well then where you're just completely silent no movement Uh you do a lot of that as well yeah absolutely I think that I think that that is the final frontier uh, for performance in Mm -hmm. life whether you're a businessman or you're an athlete or or whatever it is I mean athletes will train their bodies but I think that they undertrain their mind and that's probably true in business as well interesting Um, and I know and I've gone in and out of having a consistent meditation practice so I'm not perfect at it by any means Um, but I know that when I am actively meditating on a consistent basis uh, that that uh, I'm definitely sharper and more focused I'm a better athlete and I have better follow through in the things that I'm doing during the day. And it has this weird, there's this weird inverse relationship where you think, well, I don't have time to do that because I got all these other things to do. I got to call that guy and I got to drive to this place and I got to do that thing. Right. Um, but when I take the time and I do it, then all that stuff gets done mm-hmm. somehow. It all gets done sure. and, and then some, you know, right. like I actually advance the ball more than seems logical yeah. for some reason. It's like uh, every time I go on a flight, I always remember to take care of myself because they say, you know, make sure to put your own mask on first before assisting others. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, I'm all about helping people and I'm a big giver and want to help the world. And I'm sure you do as well with your message. But we all, in my opinion, need to be extremely selfish for at least a few hours every day for ourselves and make sure we're getting all of our needs met, mm-hmm. all of our wants, desires. We're like going after them so that we're not just like resenting ourselves for just giving all the time. Right. We're really taking care of our bodies physically, mentally, emotionally. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. You, uh, you can't help someone else if you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah. 
And you can't give something away that you haven't got. Mm. So you cannot put a message out there about health, fitness, you know, spirituality, you know, business, whatever it is, if you're not practicing that. Right. You can, but people are more perceptive than you think. And they will be able to tell whether that's an authentic message or not. And if you're not doing what you're saying people will know. Right. You know, and then it will fall flat. Yeah. And water rises to its own level. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So you have to walk your walk and for the kind of message that you're putting out and the kind of message that I'm putting out, like I have to do those things in order to be able to talk about them. Mm. And you can look at it like selfishness, but you know, it's it's really it's really not because you're of maximum service to other people when you're as fit as you can be. Mm, that's true. And by fit, I don't just mean physically. Emotionally, I mean, yeah, mentally. In a holistic wellness yeah. sense. So you should be selfish and becoming very healthy, in my opinion. And I'm becoming more and more selfish every day with my health. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be, at least. Yeah. You know, I'm not perfect. I, I still have like... Nobody tons, is. Tons and I think, of, yeah. I think that's an important thing to talk about, though, because it is this notion of perfection or like holding on to this idea of perfection that I think prevents a lot of people from Mm. moving forward. And I come across this because I eat a plant-based diet. You know, people say, well, that's, I can never do that. That's too, it's too hard, you know? And so they don't even try. And I'm like, you don't have to do it perfect. Just start. Like if all you did was have a green juice every day and that's all you did, that would change your life. Right. You know? So let go of being perfect. You know, you're not going to be perfect in CrossFit. You know, you're not yeah. going to be perfect in whatever it is that you're trying. But you, if you can give yourself permission to fail or yep. to be imperfect, that creates a safe place that allows people to move into move in a new direction and blossom in a way that maybe they uh, didn't expect. I think when when we beat ourselves up over the mistakes we think we're making, so it's like we're eating really healthy, but then we have a box of cookies or something. Right. And then we're like, oh, we beat ourselves up over it. That does more damage. That takes you out of the game. Takes you out of the game. So not to beat ourselves up over it. Like I had a half a box of uh, Girl Scout cookies last night. I'm not going to lie. But I don't feel bad. <laughs> I don't feel bad. I used to feel bad. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, you know what? I've been eating clean all week. I've been eating really well. You know, I have juice every day. I have a smoothie every morning, everything. So what if I have a half a box of cookies once a week? Right. Well, you just like, go, well, that's interesting that I did that. Yeah. I wonder why I behave that right. way. Like, am I depressed? Like, let me look at that. But in the meantime, I'm going to do the next right thing. Right. And I had a green juice today, a smoothie, a healthy meal. You know, it's like... Yeah. We it's feel like good. A, I feel good, man. We're going to keep this podcast going for the next five hours. <laughs> Ultra podcast. Um, so what's what was the most difficult race you've had to date? Uh, what's been the most challenging for you? Um, well, after I did, I did that. So I did that Ultraman in 2008. I did finish. And again, my goal wasn't a race, but I ended up 11th in that race. Out of how um, many? 12? No. There were only 35, actually. It's a small race, but it's invitation only from wow. athletes all over the world. That's so it was, a, it was a triumph just to be this able to. This was your to, first one? That was my first one. 2008. 2008. Mm-hmm. So then I thought, well, I wonder what would happen if I actually trained for a whole year and took it seriously and went back not just to complete it, but to actually race it and see what I could do. So that's what I did. So I went back in 2009. Um, uh, After the 6.2-mile swim, I got out of the water 10 minutes ahead of the next guy. And I held that lead that whole day one through that 90 miles on the bike and finished that day with it. I held that 10-minute lead the whole day. So I finished day one with a 10-minute lead on everybody. It's amazing. And I'm like, this is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Eating a vegan diet is working. (laughs) You know? Uh, But uh, what happened was... 35 miles into the next day's ride, the 171-mile ride, I crashed my bike. Uh, bike slipped out from underneath me on wet pavement. Mm. Um, I went down hard. My knee was bleeding, my left shoulder, all the skin was sheared off it, and I broke a pedal. Oh. And it was on one section of the road where they don't allow any crew support. Um, so I had to pet, because every athlete has to bring their own crew. So you have this van with your crew support that follow every, every, yeah, exactly. All your equipment, all your food, because you stay in a different place every night and they go around with you. Um, No crew van. So I had to pedal my bike with one foot for a full mile to get to the end of this segment and meet up with my crew. And, you know, without a pedal, like it's it's done, right? You know, like I don't care, you know, like I don't care who you are. You're not going to finish the race. So during that one mile, I had an opportunity to, you know, when you sort of like, you've probably experienced this in football, 
where you take your mind out of it. Like you're, you're, you're totally engaged in what you're doing and then something happens, it throws you off and then you just check out. You're out. You're out. It's done, right? It's so great. I'm like, start to think, this is awesome. Like I don't have to finish this race. Wow. I just got to exit pass out of all this pain. No one's going to say anything because obviously I, I have a broken pedal. I crash like it's over with. And I start thinking about, oh, I'm going to sleep in a nice bed tonight. Uh, and nice I'm going to take my kids to the beach the next day. And what happened was I get to the end of the road. I hug my wife. She's there. And uh, I got blood all over me. My knee's all swollen. And uh, a, a guy who was crewing for another athlete comes up to me and he's like, what kind of pedal do you need? I showed him the make and model of the fractured, broken pedal. He disappears. He comes back with a brand new pedal, the exact model of the one that I had on my bike that was still in the box. It was brand new. And he's like, give me your bike. He took my bike. He, he like put, got the new pedal on it. And he's like, you're getting back on your bike. And were, you and thinking to like, him, were you thinking to him like, uh, don't worry about it. I was it. like, oh, you, know, you don't like, understand. You know, I'm done. You know, like I'm not doing this race anymore. Cause it, and he's like, no, you're getting on your bike. Wow. And so I think the hardest thing that I've ever experienced was, was getting back on that bike. And then with the, you know, with blood all over my knee and my shoulder and riding the rest of those 150 miles injured. Um, but it wasn't the injuries as much as it was trying to mentally get back into well, yeah. it after you've checked out i can only imagine and i suffered through that day and it was miserable <laughs> and i lost you know all the whole lead that i had and the whole thing because you're just thinking and, i don't want to be doing this for another hundred yeah, miles exactly I was, I every pedal stroke was miserable no focus no like desire yeah, just absolutely like, not and then even after finishing that being in so much pain thinking well, I'm not going to run tomorrow. You know, like I got through that. Um, you know, my knee, I had all this ice on my knee. It was all swollen. I was like, there's no way I'm running tomorrow. But I thought, well, I'll just show up and I'll just, I'll run a half mile, see how it feels. You know, I'll just gauge it. If it, if it really isn't, if I really don't think it's going to hold up, I'll just, I'll run until I think it's going to give out on me and then I'll pull out. And so I showed up to run and I just, you know, with every half mile it started to loosen up how many a little bit better 50 miles 52 miles oh so i ended up running that whole thing on a on a wounded knee and uh kind of worked my way back up the field a little bit uh and ended up sixth overall in that race did you see yourself getting like a second win where you're like okay I, it's feeling okay i'm gonna like a little kick bit it in, like the, yeah, eye a little, of the tiger yeah a little music. bit i definitely got back in the game a little bit yeah. on it um and so people say to me, well, are you bummed that you crashed? And do you think you could have won the race? Or do you think you could have been on the podium? And my answer is always the same, which is no. Like it was the perfect race because I didn't, my attraction to even doing this race in the beginning in 2008 was never to like see how many people I could beat or mm -hmm. how fast I could go. It was, I wanted to have a spiritual experience. Yeah. I wanted to have a growth experience. I wanted to learn more about who I was and I wanted to see how hard I could push this body that I yeah. had abused for so long. And what I got was exactly what I asked for, you know? Mm -hmm. And when everything goes right, it's like this in football, right? If you have a perfect mm -hmm. game, what did you learn about yourself? It's like you learn the most when the chips are down and they're stacked against you and like, what are you gonna do in that moment? Yeah. You know, and I learned something about myself. So that was the hardest thing that's ever, that I've ever endured athletically, um, but also the greatest and most valuable. Mm. Now, did you ever go back and win that race? I didn't. I went back in 2011, um, ready to give it a go again. And I and on day two, I started spitting blood on day oh, two. Geez. And I made a I made a decision to pull out. Wow. Um, so I still have unfinished business. There you go. That race. 2014. Here we yeah, come. I know. I'll be 50. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, so you used to eat a lot of meat, right? Mm-hmm. You used to eat pretty much anything you wanted. Fast food, yeah. window diet, garbage, right? the garbage disposal, everything. Window diet. Now, you changed to vegan at what age? When I was forty, yeah, forty. You fully changed. You haven't mm -hmm. had meat since then. So I'm forty six now. Yeah, I've been on plant based diet for six years. Six years. Six yeah. years. Now, what's the difference? I mean, what's the main difference, and what's the main benefit to being on a plant based diet at forty to forty six from? eating meat and junk from zero to 40? Well, the biggest difference is, is my energy levels. Mm -hmm. I have really good, high energy throughout the day, and I don't have the peaks and valleys. I don't get the food coma after lunch. Um, I, don't get the, you know, I don't get the sugar highs, but I don't get the sugar crashes either. Um, 
I don't worry about my ratio of carbs to fat to protein so much. So I'm not like it's, you know, my kitchen is not like a, a lab where I'm measuring right. everything. I don't worry about that. I just eat whatever you want, really clean foods close to their natural state. And, uh, and you know, I've been able to, I dropped those 50 pounds and they've never come back. Yeah. So I'm not on any kind of yo-yo program. It's very sustainable and doable. And, um, you know, people say to me, well, you've, you did all these athletic things despite being on a vegan diet. Like what if you were on a paleo diet or what if you were on this diet? And I can only speak to the diet that I'm on, but I actually, I believe that, that, uh, that it is responsible for everything that I have achieved as an athlete. I think it's a huge contributor to it. I think there's a lot of misinformation uh, and misguided direction about protein particularly mm. and what our protein needs are. And, you know, when you go into the grocery store and every packaged food tells you how much protein it is and you're kind of bombarded with this message of protein and how right. much protein you need, you have to ask yourself, well, who is pushing this message on you and why? Mm. And, and, you know, I did a lot of research on it and I realized that most people eat upwards of twice the amount of protein that they actually should. There haven't been any studies to establish that additional protein beyond what your body actually needs, which is less than most people believe, uh, expedites muscle recovery huh. or makes you stronger or a better athlete. And I can personally say that in the six years of doing this, I continue to get leaner, faster, mm. stronger, and I've never had a problem with this. Um, but I think above and beyond that, uh, well, two points I want to make, uh, but the first is above and beyond that, Eating a plant-based diet is very alkaline forming, and most people uh, are eating a much more acid forming diet and leading sort of lives that contribute to uh, to a state of of metabolic acidosis, stress, the toxins we breathe, the uh, meat and dairy products all contribute to this, mm. and that that sort of when you're in this when you're eating acid forming foods and and you know breathing these toxins and and stress and, and the like. Um, this is pushing your, your pH toward a more acidic state, which makes your body have to ramp up into overtime to neutralize that, P, that, right. that pH. And that causes inflammation. Um, it leaches minerals from your bones and contributes to things like osteoporosis. And inflammation is really a huge contributor to a lot of the Western diseases that we suffer from. And it's a, it, it is like a huge impediment to uh, recovering in between workouts. Ugh. So if you have all this inflammation after your workout, you're, you're not going to recover very right. quickly. So when you're, eating, when you're eating a more alkaline-forming diet, you are going to expedite your recovery. You're less likely to get sick. You're less likely to get run down and overtrain. And all of these things, one and of themselves, day-to-day, -day, don't necessarily make you a better athlete. But if you protract that out over a course of a season or a number of years you're going to realize performance gains as a result right. of that. It's the consistency of it exactly. over time. Yeah. And then the second point, real quickly, is just, you know, I adopted a plant-based diet not, not, to, not for performance reasons, but for health reasons. I didn't want to suffer a heart attack. I didn't want to get diabetes. You know, I don't want to have cancer. I don't want to have any of these Western diseases that, growth in your that, that are huge epidemics in our country, yeah. you know? And when 935,000 Americans suffer a heart attack every year and 385,000 of them are fatal, wow, it's insane. And 42% of Americans are obese and that obesity is leading us to die prematurely and have strokes. And, you know, with the rates of diabetes going through the roof, and we have a huge problem here. Yeah. So... Uh, in all the studies that I've done, and I could, you know, name a million books, um, I've become very, very convinced that the best way to make yourself bulletproof to Western disease and feel great and maintain your weight is to eat a plant-based diet. Mm, interesting. My, again, my buddy swears by it. And I'm yeah. seeing more and more athletes coming out talking about mm -hmm. how having a vegan diet is helping them perform longer, faster, stronger, right. feel better, recover faster, you know, all these different things. You're seeing athletes talk about it now. Yeah, they are. And it's it's an amazing time. Five years ago, <clears throat> nobody was talking about it, particularly athletes. No. And now, like, particularly in the MMA, a lot of MMA fighters really? are doing it and, and kicking ass, yeah. you know. Um, it's one thing for, like, a crazy ultra runner like myself or right. there's other people out there, Scott Jurek, who's a legend, ultra marathoner. 
uh, or triathletes, they're kind of very unthreatening athletes. Right, right. You know? But when but the physicality, but the of like, MMA guys are yeah. doing it, and they're they're talking about how good they feel. It's and amazing. you know, Timothy Bradley, who beats Manny Pacquiao, arguably, he didn't I don't know that he really won that fight. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, for him to even be in the ring with Pacquiao, and you know, Not on a plant based diet, the guy's on a plant based diet. It's impressive. He's a boxer, you know, so. You know, regardless of where you are, and I'm certainly not here to tell anybody how they should live their life or, or eat or anything like that. I'm just sharing my experience. Yeah. Um, but when all these athletes are talking about it, you know, maybe check it out or look into it and do your own research. It's interesting. It wasn't Carl Lewis uh, a vegan? Yeah, Did yeah. He, back uh-huh. in the day in the Olympics yeah. when he got like five yeah. gold medals. I mean, no one was talking about that. No now. one. I know. But he was like above and beyond everyone. Right. It's pretty interesting. And I think the more that I'm learning and educating myself about foods and nutrition. I'm still a long way away from it, but in the last two years, I've, come, I've kind of come to the middle. I'm right. thinking from between vegan to just like the window diet. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's a big improvement, and I'm seeing that in my daily activity and my mental performance and everything that I do. Right. So I think it's interesting to definitely take a look at and... And experiment with different things for yeah, what works your for own, your body. Do your own research. You know, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't adopt it because I read a bunch of books. Right. And, you know, watched Forks Over Knives. Which right. you, have you seen that documentary? I haven't seen it yet. All right. Well, that's first. That should be next in your I'll watch Netflix clue. <laughs> uh, um, you know, it happened to me accidentally, and I was just paying attention to how I felt, and I realized that when I started doing this, I felt really good. Interesting. And so it was, it's personal experience and, and learning to be in tune with your body, right. I think, which most of us aren't. Right. You know, and We're not. when you're eating crappy foods, you can't be. It's tough. You man. get disconnected from who you are. It's tough. So, what are people going to learn in Finding Ultra? What are they not going to learn? <laughs> so Finding Ultra, is, it's, it's primarily memoir. Um, it's, uh-huh. it's my personal story about all the kind of things that we've been talking about today. Sure. Um, you know, my, my history with addiction and, and kind of recovery and then what was going on with me health-wise when I turned 40 and, and how I right. made this switch and, and where it led me and, and throughout all the races that I've done and, and the kind of performance, endurance performance endeavors. And then there's about 60 pages in the appendices with resources on the real specifics of how I eat and why and a day in the life of how I eat and, Interesting. and resources to other books and, and websites where you can learn more about it. Very but cool. It, it, it reads, you know, it's a, it's a page turner. It's pretty quick. Memoir. Yeah. You know, and, uh, I'm excited. I haven't read it yet, but I'm excited yeah. to check this out. Oh, man. I, I rarely read books, but I'm actually excited <laughs> to, to read this one. No pressure, man. Um, you know, you're a busy guy. No, I'm excited. And when I get a signed autograph, you can here. get it in an audio book. You can hear me drone on. Really? Yeah. Now, do you have this at a, is this in Barnes and Noble right now also? Or is Barnes it and Am- Noble, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on iTunes. You can get the audio book on Audible or iTunes or Amazon. Very so cool. It's all over the place. Now, you have your own supplement company as well, right, with plant-based proteins and things like that? Yeah, I do. I have, I have a company called Jai Lifestyle, and, and I know Onnit is uh, yep. your sponsor, so I don't want to step on oh, that. That's all right. Some of the stuff that I make is similar to what they make. Right. Um, but, yeah. I have a uh, athletic recovery supplement called Jai Repair, which uh, you know I talked earlier about how I think we, there's too much emphasis on protein, uh-huh. um, and a lot of people are scared of a plant-based diet because they're worried about not getting enough protein. But you can get a lot of and protein. I don't, you can. Plants have a lot of protein. I talk about that in the book, and I list all the plants that are high in protein and the kind of things that I eat. Um, and I'm not a guy who is putting protein powders in my Vitamix blends on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I found that I don't need it. Um, but when I'm training really hard, like when I'm doing those 25 hour weeks that I was telling you about earlier, I'm hitting it really hard or I feel like I haven't eaten the right foods that day. I will definitely, I believe in supplements mm-hmm. and, um, I will use a plant-based protein, uh, supplement. And, um, I started experimenting when I was training with what worked for me, and I was making all these crazy. I was getting, I was buying all sorts of different stuff and playing around with it. Right. Um, and when I decided I wanted to launch my own formula, I sort of took the best of what worked for me and combined it into one. So um, it's a combination of three plant-based proteins: hemp, brown, sprouted brown rice, and pea, which I, which have always worked the best for me. Are very bioavailable. It's a complete amino acid profile. Mm. Um, and I've got L-glutamine. I've got vitamin B12, 
and it has uh, cordyceps mushroom extracts in it, which is mm. the same as uh, the shrimp tech shrimp product. Tech. Yeah, that, that stuff's amazing. And I, you know, and I, I know, you know, Joe and those guys talk about how great it is, and, and you've experienced what it's, it's like amazing. to be eating cordyceps. And I've been, I started using cordyceps in 2008, and and noticed a very dramatic um, change in how I felt. Uh, and you talked about it the other day on your podcast, like not feeling winded, feeling like you have yeah. an extra gear, yeah. like you can keep going. And, and, uh, so that's why I included it in this product as well. And I've got a vitamin B12 supplement. I've got a cookbook, a Jai lifestyle. I've got a bunch, a meditation program, all sorts of stuff. Mel Stewart's a friend of mine too. No way. Down in Austin. Is he down in you Texas? You know Mel? Right? Yeah. I've known Mel's him for my a few man. years. He's that's my boy. Hilarious. I just saw this on the back of your book. Dude, Mel, I've known Mel forever. Swimmer, a two-time, or he won two golds, right? Backstroke? Uh Uh-huh. No, Butterfly. Butterfly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. He does a lot of videos online and stuff, right? He does. Well, we'll talk after the show. (laughs) Yeah, Mel, I love Mel. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, So what's the best place for people to find you? So um, my website is richroll.com, R-I-C-H-R-O-L-L, just like rock and roll. Um, I've got a blog there, and uh, I host my podcast there too, the Rich Roll yeah. Podcast, which you can find on iTunes, um, probably right next to Lewis's. Yeah, <laughs> we've been up in the top ten. So, and, and you got to come on my show, dude. I'm down. I'm going to make you commit right now. I'm in. All right, I'm cool. in. <laughs> we'll schedule that. And uh, I'm on. I'm active on Twitter at, at Rich Roll. Yeah, you got a great uh, audience there as well. And you know, Facebook and all the normal stuff. But my website, richroll.com, and, and Twitter and uh, the podcast are the best ways to find me. Okay, cool. And the last question is what's your definition of greatness? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question. I think it begs it, it begs the question of what is greatness and what does greatness mean to me and, and, exactly. and to you. I mean, I think it means different things to different people. For me personally, I think being great means being the most actualized version of yourself, the best version of yourself. And, for, and, and that's what my book is about. Like, it's about me going on these crazy endurance adventures, but really the subtext is unlocking a more authentic, better version of myself and, and providing a roadmap for other people to right. do the same. And for me, it's endurance sports. For you, it might be playing the banjo or right. becoming a stand-up comic. or It doesn't matter. So for me, greatness is, is having the balls and the courage mm. to look inside yourself and do the work to figure out what gives you a heartbeat and what gives you purpose to find that passion inside of you and then set in motion a series of actions that lead to a plan to help you more fully actualize that and live that. Because that is what being great is, and that is what's going to make you happy. And that's what the world needs more of, mm. people that are doing that. And again, it doesn't matter what that is. It's different and individualized for every single person. But the more people that can tap into that and unlock it and make it happen we're a better place and that doesn't mean that it's easy it is a warrior's path man right and it is fraught with landmines and it will be hard (laughs) and you will question yourself and it will take you to the mat but if you can do if you can if you can take that on and make that your mantra then you will be a happy person and the world will be a better place there you go make sure to check out richroll.com thanks brother all right man thank you And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode number 10 with Rich Roll. Super inspiring guy. Make sure to go check him out at richroll.com. He is doing some cool things over there. Subscribe to his podcast. He's just an awesome dude. I'm glad I got to spend uh, half the day with him today in Los Angeles and have uh, lunch with him and just learn more about his story, his theories on fitness and life. Very cool, inspiring guy. And make sure to check out the book, Finding Ultra. You can check it out on Amazon or in Barnes and Noble and all that good stuff. So before I let you guys go today, I would love it. I'm getting all these great reviews and ratings from you guys over on iTunes. I'm currently the show School of Greatness is currently on the homepage of iTunes, the podcast section, and it was on the homepage of Stitcher.com. So a big shout out to the crew over at Stitcher for for posting this up there. Uh, and with your help, we can keep getting more people and build this audience and share this message with more people. So I'd love it if you guys would leave me a five-star review 
over at our five-star rating over at iTunes and then leave a review. Let the other people who are coming to, to learn more about this podcast, let them know what you like about it. If you don't like stuff about it, you can write that as well. I mean, I'm not being too picky here, but I would just love for you to mention something. Leave a review, leave a five-star rating. I just got a cool one in today and from David Birch Designs. And the headline says, Teaching Wisdom in Every Episode. And he gave it five stars and said, Finally, a show that shares the wisdom of successful businessmen and athletes, how they made it and what obstacles they faced along the way. Amazing stories from some killer guests about how to overcome limiting beliefs and truly succeed in life. Lewis, you have inspired me to be great. Keep them coming. So thanks, David, for that. And there's a ton of other great uh, reviews on there. I would love it for you guys to check it out. Also, go to schoolofgreatness.com. Leave us a comment over on the blog. Share these uh, podcasts, these episodes with your friends. Get the word out there. It'll make me love you even more. Just kidding, but not really. Anyways, guys, thanks so much. Hope you have an amazing day and make it great. Great.